Well, good morning, everyone. As Aaron just said, we are, yes, we are actually uh, going through the book of Acts. Uh, right after Easter, we decided to kind of go through the book, um, going right into leading into us into summer. Now, obviously, this isn't going to be an exhaustive uh, series, but hopefully, what we're hoping to do is it's leading us to again ask the question, what it means to be the church. If God is the one who created the church, Jesus created the church, and we see what happens uh, in the first, at the beginning in the early church, this is what we're asking. So it started really with this, is Dave Perry uh, started us by explaining uh, Acts, is actually really the gospel of Luke continued, right? Pete, right, Dave? It was like, this is gospel of Luke part two. And Jesus was releasing the church into the, into the mission, Uh, and what this meant is this, is that the church was being commissioned. That the, At the very beginning of the books, a book of Acts, we see the commissioning of the church. Did you know that you and I are commissioned? Yes, God has a purpose and a plan for you and I in sharing his good news to the, to the world. And also, we continued on this, that the church is also not only being commissioned, but that the church is also being empowered. Uh, Pastor Sangu shared with that about how it was amazing on the, in Acts chapter 2 uh, that f- wind and fire came as the Holy Spirit descended upon uh, the church. And it was interesting as these, he's challenging us about the manifestation that God wants to intervene in the supernatural here on earth. Amen? And so then that idea of God wanting to empower the church, the church being empowered... It's nice to know that you have a mission, but not having the ability to fulfill that mission would make it really frustrating. And that's not the God we serve. And also then, last week, Aaron shared with us, uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, the church being confident in the face of opposition. And I really encourage, if you have not heard any of these messages, please uh, go online, check online, you can listen to them, as they are kind of, this is the continuation as we come into uh, this message this morning, as we're nearing the end of chapter 4 and continuing into chapter 5. The church being in reliance. Reliance. So if you do have your Bibles, please open up. I would love for you. I'm going to put the scripture up on, up on, the, on, the, on the screen, but it's so much more valuable if you can read along. And I have a lot of passage to go through because I am starting from Matt, uh, Luke, sorry, Luke, Acts chapter 4, verse 37, right there. And I'll show why in a few minutes. So Lord, we just want to ask right now that as we open up your word, can you, Holy Spirit, now make it come alive? Your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, as we're coming to these scriptures, uh, Lord, I, I, I give you permission to open our hearts, uh, do some surgery this morning, challenge us. Your words are life. And Lord, we thank you that we, are, we want to be challenged to actually let this permeate through us as your words would seek to hit our hearts and not only just get our information, but transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's read together. So Joseph, who was also called the Apostle Barnabas, uh, also called by the Apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, he sold a field and be- that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it to the Apostles' feet. Okay? 
And we continue on. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, at your own disposal? Why is it you that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. Uh, I can can see a good reason why. Um, Anyway. Well, the young man rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. Well, that would be a church service to go to, wouldn't you think? Ah, Well, let's continue. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me uh, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came to the to the. Uh, came in, they found her dead, and they carried out and, and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people in the, in the, by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even, uh, that even they carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns of, uh, around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, as if we have been going through the book of Acts, we came up to chapter 4, and I, to be honest... The church actually at this point was looking really, really good. Like absolutely almost perfect. If you think about it, all that we've heard so far about this early gathering of this of believers is they were sharing everything. Remember, God's, the Holy Spirit's come down and it's radically transformed them that they're now actually able to give their stuff, and as, as we see with Barnabas, absolutely ridiculously free. In fact, the scripture says they were marked with gladness. Wouldn't that be a neat title for the church? I saw them and everyone was marked with gladness. You know, that would be, wouldn't that be a great way of pick the picture of church? And, and it said this, imagine they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Imagine they devoted themselves to the pastor's sermons. <sighs> what a perfect church. They're, <laughs> they're in unity. They're absolutely in, in one. They're in mission together. They're, they're in such a way that they're breaking fellowshipping at home, that their communion at home was as rich and deep as it was at church. In fact, what was amazing, as Aaron even shared, when they went into and got persecution, what is their response? They pray and say, God, can you get us more bold? 
This is the perfect church. This is the way it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, we get into this little story. As miracles are happening and people are getting saved from being lame at at birth, one of the realities of the church is that there's still brokenness because of the fallen nature of man. There's still the reality of sin even in the early church. And it's still true for us today. How many of you know that church isn't perfect? <laughs> and I just got her hand on this. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is no perfect church. There was no perfect church at the beginning, and there still is no perfect church. And we will not have a perfect church until the day we see him face to face. And that's the reality that the scripture brings to us. That as we deal with church, we got to realize that we are still having to deal with sin. And this is where the story of Ananias and Sapphira comes in. What happens when stuff... Because you see, we can understand when there's stuff happening out there. We have to deal with the sins of the world. But what do we do when sin is actually revealed in us? What do, what, what, what do we do now? And so as we come to Acts chapter 5, we see the focus is, is the sin in the church. And that's, that's what we need to deal with. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he was going to lead us into all truth. And how many of you know that sometimes the truth hurts? And the truth is, is something that we don't actually like in our culture. We like the word grace. But what about Jesus who was full of grace and truth? And so this component comes into, as, and I will unpack this, that Jesus loves us so much, he sends us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in power, but the Holy Spirit is absolutely con- convicted or wanting to continue to make us holy and like him. And I will unpack this. You see, there's something that's happening in the text with the story of Ananias and Sapphira that's showing us the reality of of dealing with sin. And it's actually this. It's the drift. It's the drift towards hypocrisy. You see, what, what, what I mean is this. It's the desire or it's the pretending to look more mature than we actually are. It's to look farther than we actually are being. or it, it could even be like this. It's seeking and hungering for the praise that others are getting because of their obedience. And so we look to look as good as them. Instead of actually taking stock of where we are, or by seeing where we are, rather than being called to the life and power that is in him, what we do is we lower our expectations and our experiences to make God at our level. I'll explain that too. Well, what do I mean by this? So first of all, what is hypocrisy? Well, the definition of hypocrisy is this. It's the pretense of having a virtuous character, moral religious beliefs or principles that, does not, that one does not really possess. It's a pretense of having some desirable or public approved attitude. And funny, what Jesus even talked about how the Pharisees, they said they could be like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look really good, but inside there's stuff rotten and dying in there. He was, and he called them 
hypocrites. You hypocrites. He called the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the time. Well, what is, what is the pull and temptation of hypocrisy? Why is this sort of the manifestation that when we deal with sin, this is what can happen in the church? Well, the, the idea is this. Hypocrisy, can, it does two things for you. It has a twofold idea that it wants to get us trapped in. The first one is, in order to avoid the shame when we feel, when we're dealing with sin, of our failures and the things that we do wrong, we start not being real. Luke, you couldn't have set me up any more. Uh, I couldn't have been more blessed when suddenly you got up and sharing a testimony of what happened with you. Because suddenly, for you to have enough courage to say, this is actually what's going on in me. I am so glad I need a Savior. A Christian. How long have you been saved? Still needing a Savior. Wow. Wow. The other option, or the, what we do with hypocrisy is this. We pull the bar of grace so that we no longer are challenged by the truth or the reality of Scripture. In other words, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm going to bring it so low that I can jump over the standards so that I'm not a failure. That, too, is a byproduct of hypocrisy. This is why I started in, in, in the book at Acts chapter 4, verse 36, because we see in the text Ananias noticed Barnabas' actions. Instead of asking the Lord how he could have a generous heart like Barnabas, he sought the approval of man rather than God. And, and so he suddenly gets this idea, he gets a scheme on how he can look good. And so he contrived, the word is schemed. Ananias, how did you contrive this in your heart? How did you, why did you go down this path to try to make yourself look good? And in fact, it was a scheme that his wife agreed to. Isn't it easy to fall into an, a trap to look good? To look something you're not. And so in that, they become hypocrites and they succumb to the first temptation of of hypocrisy. But again, I continued on the passage from the story because what happens is this. In uh, Acts chapter 5 verse 12, suddenly you hear what's going on as the manifestation and the presence of God is. When God really shows up, it is insane. The reality of how he wants to be with us. That it's multitudes were coming to the Lord. In fact, many were being, it's many being, men and women. And then it says, this is how crazy it was, that people were so, there was such a a, a high exaltation of the church that what happened was this. When Peter was walking along the street, people would come out and bring sick people so that simply his shadow If his shadow would touch people, they would be healed. That is incredible. 
And what it's supposed to do is say, look, don't lower the bar of our humanity down here. This is the bar. Imagine you having so much God wanting to be with us that your very shadow heals people. You don't say a word. You don't do nothing. The very presence of God is doing healing. Wow. Well, I can't do that. I, I couldn't live that. That's way too holy for me. No, that, and so we lower the bar. But that's why it's right after this, because that's a sin. That is hypocrisy. When we lower the the standards that God says, we make him down to us, then it's manageable. But what I, when I read that scripture, I get actually kind of jealous. There's something that kicks inside me going, I want that. It's supposed to, it's supposed to say, I'm not there yet. How many of you that your shadow literally is going around and just wrecking places? How many of you would like that? Yeah. That's what that's supposed to be. Don't bring it down to here, but let that bar be where God says his standard. And that's, that's what this portion's about. It's meant to provoke us. And so how do we battle this drift of hypocrisy? Well, the, the answer is this, the church being in reliance. This is, this is simply what it looks like. There is, gonna, we're going to deal with sin. But how do you deal and how do you avoid the the pitfall of hypocrisy? Well, it's this. The first is a reliance on God. A reliance on God. And and I want to make this, I mean, it sounds like you'd be just understating what's the obvious. But no, look what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira. What he was doing, Ananias was grabbing on to hold of an action, not God. I know how I can look good. If I do this, I will look good. Instead of, where do you get your righteousness from? And I love what Peter's response is to Ananias. Why are you lying to me? His question is absolutely lights out. The issue isn't about what you gave or how you gave. The question is, why are you doing this to me? Wasn't the money yours before you gave it away? Wasn't the money or before you sold it? And isn't it still your money? What caused you to lie? What is in your heart? What is making your assessment of your identity and who you are? Is it God or your actions? And that's the temptation, the drift for us, our starting point starting to be things or people rather than God. And I have to admit, I am going to be totally transparent to you, that is absolutely the temptation of a pastor. The absolute temptation to suddenly drift away from, is really this about God, or is it about all the stuff we do? Is it all of the mission and, the, and this, and lose your relationship with God? Did you know it was interesting, I, I found that this, there was a study, did you know that 60% of pastors are actually burning out? And I wonder, how is that when Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Is it possible that in all of the activity that we're doing in church, we forget to abide in him? And so we wonder why we're burning out. But I love Jesus, but I'm doing this. No, but it's about him again, right? And I have to admit, this has been a, a huge, in my face, as I'll explain in a few. 
And I explain this drift to hypocrisy is, you see, how we start is this. We recognize we need God. We are sinners needing to be saved by grace. And as we journey along from that, we move from the concept of sinners saved by grace to the actions we need to live by. And now that's not wrong. Think about it in this way. Our actions and asking your actions, what are you doing, is not wrong. Think of it this way. Actions are expressions of your faith. Why am I praying? Why do I read the Bible? Why do I go to church? Why do I give? And why do I serve? See, all those are actions. Carolyn, why do you do E-A-L? Why? Those, that's a, it's a good thing. It's beautiful that she's doing that. But those actions are meant to be expressions of our relationship with God, not our soul life. Our actions are meant what God is. And I mean this. It's out of that that our actions are not what God is after, and he's after actually our hearts. Did you know that today? Did you know that God does not want your money? He wants your heart. Did you know God does not want your serving him? He wants your heart. He wants your attitudes, your character, your life more than your money. Because actually, if he gets your life or gets your heart, guess what happens? Those become the byproduct of it. It's weird that when I get Jesus, I actually tend to love people. When I'm not thinking about Jesus, guess what? (laughs) Driving is very interesting in Winnipeg. Put it that way. (laughs) And everyone's going, amen, amen. And so... Remember this, as God asks this question, he says, remember, he wants to know, that is his answer, God in the garden. What does he say? Where are you? That's his first response, not what you've done. Oh, Adam and Eve, how did you sin? No, he asked the first question, where are you? And when you start from God, and he's going to ask you a simple question, where are you? Because he's not just interested about giving us rules and laws, he's actually interested in a relationship. He wants us to actually love him. And out of that love comes the obedience. I was very interested in that because it addresses the heart. I was watching this, uh, I watched the, uh, it's called the AD series. Um, It was called The Bible Continues. So it was like the live action book of Acts. I thought I'd watch it just to see. And I got to the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so I was kind of intrigued, like, how is their depiction going to be of this story? And it was really kind of, it was kind of scary actually. Because, you know, all of a sudden Peter has this, and he gets a Holy Spirit moment. He sees Ananias lying. And he turns to him and he's like, you, and he's like, really like, you have lied to the Holy. He's like, really far. I'm like, whoa, you're, what, what happened to you? You got all peace and now you're getting really angry. What happened? Well, he's like, you have not lied to man. This is not, you've lied. He's getting, oh, you are really lied to God. And, and it, to such a place that the fear, like I'm going, I can see why they said fear because the guy's like, I don't know. And all of a sudden he has blood coming out of his nose, out of his eyes. And I'm like, and falls down. Everyone's like, okay, uh, church is over. Let's move. <laughs> but the next part, when he's talking with Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias, or Sapphira and, and Peter, this is what's interesting. Because the, the directors do some ad lib or they add some stuff. So I was like, okay, what are you going to do with this one? And this is, what he, this is what Sapphira says, which I found really intriguing. 
When, when Peter encounters her and asks if she had, had sold the land for such and such, and during his interaction, I, this is what she says. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because okay. he says, no, you have lied. And she says, yes, yes, you may have, we may have held a bit back, but what does that matter? We donated a huge amount and are happy to. Why is this such a problem? It wasn't malicious in any way. We're simply being prudent. Look what Sapphira says to her. Look at my actions. My actions aren't really bad. Because she's focusing on her actions. And what Peter again says is, you're missing the point. This is about God. Not what we do. He actually would have been okay with you giving 80 or 10 or 5. You're missing the point. Our reliance needs to come back to God all the time. Otherwise, we drift to hypocrisy. We drift to somehow that we can do this on our own strength. And I love this because if you ever want to read Psalm 51, this is David's prayer when he sinned. When he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, what, this is his response. And notice his response isn't to try to show what he has done. Look, I'm a king. I've, I slayed a Goliath. I've done all this stuff. This is his response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. That's what he was worried about. That's David. When, he, when he confronted with his sin, he said, I don't want to lose you, God. That's my point. And so he becomes reliant on God. Second thing, how we battle this drift into hypocr- away from hypocrisy. Well, you see, we need to have a reliance on community. And I think this is very important because the Holy Spirit, how this all comes out is through a brother. It's interesting that this working through sin is actually done in a community. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, says, wait a second, something's not right. Now, I, I think about that. Imagine if, uh, what, if that's what was supposed to happen in the community, that we actually care enough for one another that when we're actually doing wrong, we are able to say, is, that's not right. Now, I had a thought. I I do know why God doesn't have other people find out my sin. I I did find out a reason why. I do know why that what this happened in the book of Acts doesn't always happen. And I got it. I, I can explain. Because if suddenly God was downloading to Mary all of Norm's junk, she probably would go, oh. And she would have a real rough time. Because she's not God. She doesn't know how to handle all of Norm's thoughts and whatever. 
And also, if now I'm accountable because if I lie, guess what happens next? (laughs) When Mary comes up to me and says, "Uh, Norm, did you do that? And I'm like, we have a real like, please no more prophetic words in the church. (laughs) There's too many people dying. No more words of knowledge. No, actually, this is why God allows or does not share all of our sin. He wants us to confess to one another. His journey or his desire is that we can actually be a people who we don't have to be confronted, we confess. Let me explain by this. Uh, In 1 John 1, verse 5, it says this, This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God's desire isn't that suddenly Ryan goes, Norm, God told me your sin. He's actually wanting me to go, Ryan, I have pooched it. Can you help? Pooched it is a Greek term for messing up for all of you that don't know. If you don't know that, that's a very biblical, it's in, the, it's in the Greek lexicon, so pooched it. There is power, this is the way God actually wants us to be in a community, that we are actually in reliance of one another, and that when we do that, we actually are helping each other, we have fellowship with one another when we share our struggles, when we share that we're not doing okay, when we're sharing that we actually have uh, issues, and that we know there's such a loving community that not judgment, because mercy triumphs over judgment, there's literally the ability for us to say, I see that, I'll pray with you, I'll carry your burden, and let's go on. That's what's supposed to happen. And so even in the prophetic, I don't believe that God wants me to have all the downloads of... Now, if he does give me a word of knowledge, I still believe it's meant to build up and edify the church. If he does tell me something that that Caleb's doing, it's not so that Caleb can be torn down. It's so that I could say, oh, in in fact, I I don't even have to say it. What I'm supposed to do is just pray for him. I'm supposed to be praying for him because what happens if it's not dealt with? Will he die? Well, the wages of sin is death. And that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Well, James also concludes that confession of our sins for believers is actually amazingly powerful because it, it instructs concerning healing. In fact, healing is released as we, as we confess. James 5, verse 13 and 16 and that talks in verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Did you know that sometimes I'm wondering why I'm going through all this and there's an actual secret sin that I'm dealing with and I'm not wanting to deal with it. And if I would deal with it with a brother, then God would say it's unlocked and you would have your healing. I'm not saying that all the time is a, is 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 illness because of sin. I'm not saying that. That's not biblical. I'm not saying that there's always a root to something that is that, yes, I believe the root often is sin, but that's just general too. If I walk outside and I got hit and suddenly got hit by a car, well, did I sin? 
Maybe I might have been playing Pokemon Go and wasn't watching what I was going. That's possible. That's just called stupidity. But on the flip side of it, that could have been just a horrible accident. Or it could have been someone else's sin as they were not paying attention, they were drunk or whatever. But to label like that is not, not our way. I think the reason we don't tend to live in a community like this is, are you and I really willing to have that type of relationship? To live, it's so easy to live very hypocritical when I can come and I just, hey, this is all you see is this. It's really painful when I actually get closer and go, okay, Dave, you're going to get to see actually what Norm is really like. And what if you don't like what you see? Ruth, what if, what if he's got lots of foibles and flaws? It's, it, it's so, the temptation for the hypocrisy is just keep the mask up. Keep it looking like, ah, he's, a, he's got it all together. Man, and, and that's the temptation. But God's saying, no, take down the masks. Take down so you can say what you're actually, what's going on. Uh, the picture that Audra had this morning, which I absolutely loved, is she said, I just imagine a picture that people coming in with this big ball of chain, like they were like, I feel like I'm burdened this morning. I feel like this, and they don't even know what they're just kind of, I feel just absolutely wrecked today, and that's the reality. But now what happened was, that's the reality, but all of a sudden by the Holy Spirit, that got broken. That got changed. Because in the presence of God and in the fellowship of the believers, suddenly they're going, I don't want this, and I want this taken away, and it was left at the door. She said, I had this picture that today people were coming to church, and there was all this baggage at the back. Like, you know, you just left your bags and went home. And I said, amen, let's pray that in. Let's pray that in. Well, finally, as we're coming into this, and that I'm just going to jump to the next point, and just I'll get to the avoiding Camelot thought in another sermon. I'm going to share with you what has happened, why this has really hit me in particular. Because um, this summer I got kind of rocked, really, with this idea of how easy it is to fall into, especially in in Christianity or just church with sin and stuff. My wife and I got really impacted because... um, the summer, we connected with a friend of ours we hadn't connected. They were actually old uh, Bible school f- friends. And how it got connected is, she, is Nikki found out that what happened is they actually were now not living together. They were divorced. And we actually found out that this friend of mine that we both went to college with, um, he's no longer with his wife and family. It's totally broken and, and messed up. What really shocked me was he was a guy who went to... He was, he was a pastor. He, he was actually in ministry for 20, same time as long, as long as I've been, 26 years. And I suddenly got a wake-up call going, how does that happen? How do you suddenly get from a drift where suddenly I, I don't really, not about, give up whatever church and give up whatever stuff, give up wife, give up my, you don't wake up one day and do that. It, it was a process of things not being dealt with, things that were probably under. And in fact, we met them two years ago and we were asking, we could see already there was hurts happening from the church. And we were asking them some questions. Do you have any fellowship? No. In fact, what we found out in those two years is they stopped going to church. Well, obviously. But what if, and I, I actually had a regret, I thought, what if they had kept in fellowship? What if they said there were people to come along and say, we're going to help you through this. We're going to hurt you. Yeah, I know you're hurting, but let's, let's love and through this. Would they actually, would their marriage be different? And I, but it also came to me going, 
but what about me? What am I, could I do, could this happen? I would never believe this about these people. I couldn't imagine. And suddenly God going, yeah, well, it's easy if you just start putting masks up. How are you going to break that norm? And what happened this year, I was so proud of. I asked a couple guys, I said, could we get together so that we could grow in Jesus? I just, I want to grow. I want to know that we, that this part, because I know that I can't do it alone. It's so much better having people walk with you. And so I really want to thank some friends that in this church that I said, could we do this? Because is it possible that suddenly the pastor is living one life and doing all this? And it's not more than just accountability. It's actually, it wasn't about hold me accountable. It's I want to grow in Jesus. I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to actually have this relation where I'm reading the scriptures. Not because I have to to prep for a sermon. I'm doing it because I love him. And I think out of this, it's challenged me how to love my wife and love my kids. I actually want to grow in character. I want to abide in him. Like I said, if I abide in him, I will bear much fruit. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Is that a reality in my life? Well, let's be real. I do a lot of stuff in my own strength. (sighs) Guys, let's do this together to make Jesus the center again. And so that's what's been happening. Radical, life-changing stuff. Well, the last part is, how do we drift about, avoid the battle or the drift from hypocrisy is this. It's the reliance on the gospel. You see, I have to remember that this, the gospel is God working in our lives. And it's a reminder that you and I are in process. The gospel teaches that we're rescued out of our depravity and our process. And so, Aaron, I want to say thank you because you were all this morning kept bringing us back to this is the cross. This is what Jesus has done. If we want to keep out of hypocrisy, we have to keep going back to the gospel. Because this is what the gospel says. You are not worthy. You are a broken mess. You are in a, a whole bunch of hurt, and yet God so loved you that he does not give up on you, and he calls you his son. He dies for you, pays the price. That is the gospel. And then he says, on top of that, not only have I now declared you my child, I have forgiven you, taken away your sins, and I'm also making you new. It's that twofold process. It's this position of holiness and sanctification. It teaches that Jesus has made you and I holy. The gospel tells you that. It's simple. I am made righteous by faith in him alone. He did all the work. When I remember that, it takes me, it's a lot harder to become a hypocrite, isn't it? What did you do? What did you do to deserve this? Actually, the funny thing is I was going exactly the opposite way. I was putting my finger towards God, and I was doing bad things, and I was living... Sorry, it was a little graphic, but how to explain in a worldly context. I literally was saying, no, I want nothing to do with God. But then I cried out to him, and he saved me. And not only did he save me, he did the most miraculous thing. It's like this. I was speeding, and suddenly the police officer pulled me over and said, you're going to get a ticket. And I understand, I needed mercy at that time because I had no money. I had no way to pay for it. And he goes, okay, it's, pardon, it's dealt with. That's actually not the story. The story is this. He goes like this, I can't pay for it. Okay, fine then. Here's a thousand bucks, now go. That's grace. 
I got something I didn't even deserve. Not only was I forgiven, but I'm actually getting something out of this. Do you know what you've got in Jesus? And what did you do to get it? Nothing. Actually, I didn't deserve it. I got, that's the grace. That's the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to do this. We're going to close by taking up communion. Because I felt this would be the most appropriate way to avoid hypocrisy. Why? In Corinthians, it actually told us how we're supposed to take communion. We're to recognize his body and his blood. We're supposed to. And then this is what it says in Scripture. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a, let a person examine himself then. So to eat the bread and drink the cup for everyone who eats the drink without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we do not come under judgment. When I go and I take this and I say, God, just look at my heart. You know, you know that I need you. And this morning I declare on you. As soon as you do that, hypocrisy has to leave. It's floods. It's gone. It's true that, you know what, in the church we're going to have to deal with sin. I think we will always have to deal with sin. And some people, if they don't believe that, then I go, yes, I know heaven's coming. But uh, I think God wants to go, look, look at a good job I did with Norm. You know that guy who messed up? I did such a good job, like Peter, when he denied me three times. Now when Norm, wherever he's walking, it seems like I, what, my presence is so much in him, I'm affecting and healing and helping other people. I get no glory out of that other than you're so good. Amen? Let's all stand. How do we battle the temptation of hypocrisy? It's reliance on God, the reliance on community, and the reliance in the gospel. This morning we're going to take communion together and ask the worship team if you guys would like to come on up. And again, it's really simple What is communion? It's acknowledging that Jesus died and paid a price for you and I. But I do want to do this this morning as as we wrestle through, just let let the Holy Spirit ask God, God, what do you want to say to me today? Where is my heart? God's asking, where are you today? And what I do is this. I I pray that for some of you, it's not out of condemnation, but out of conviction. Conviction is this. Like I said, I have this thing going, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I have not arrived where God is so in me that people are literally, there is, there is just, I'm not the, the focus. Literally, God is doing stuff because he's overshadowing me. Because I'm under him. My shadow is actually changing other people. It's a little Bill Johnson euphemism if you don't know. So Holy Spirit, we want to thank you this morning as we come and we uh, want to... Uh, We want to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, as we just focus and come into this community, Lord, I pray, help us this morning to come into really, truly be reliant on you. We truly, truly are grateful for what you've done, all your mercies, all your goodness, and that we believe that, Lord, you are working on our behalf.
That thank you that, Lord, you're dealing with our sin. Let us not minimize it, but also, Lord, show us the goodness that you're bringing, how you're moving us beyond our sinful nature. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.